Good morning to each of you. We are talking today about servanthood. And I'm very excited to talk about that because I believe in it totally. And it takes belief and commitment and God's power for me and for you to be servants. But I want to tell you a quick little experience as I reach over here to get my bottle of water. Now, I hope this doesn't bother anybody, but uh, I enjoy having this as we talk and spend some time together. And so every time that I speak in front of you or in any group, I have a little drink of water every now and then to help me to talk a little bit better in this deep voice that I have. I have been blessed the last two or three Sundays because, well, the first two Sundays, one of your fine staff people, Amy, I asked her if she could find me some water. And she did with great smile on her face and with wonderful servanthood. That's the point of this little story. Last week, Amy was not here. She had taken a day of vacation. And so I didn't know about getting any water. And then suddenly a bottle of water appeared on the pastor's desk back in the office. And I thought, well, now that's interesting. Well, this past week on a Tuesday night, I was in a meeting here at the church in which Amy was participating. And after the meeting, I was just conversing with her a little bit. And I thanked her for the water that she's been providing for me. And she said, well, this past Sunday... I was on vacation and I wasn't here. And I thought, well, something appeared. <laughs> and she said, and now here is the servanthood very deeply and committedly. Amy said, I was in Nag's Head last Sunday. And at 8 o'clock in the morning, it dawned on me that Pastor Don is going to be preaching. And he did not have his water. And she called Beth and asked Beth to get me a bottle of water. In Nag's head, on vacation, with her husband, thinking about somebody else. Now, I thanked her deeply. I thanked her, and I praised her, and I do appreciate it, because that was thoughtfulness beyond the call of duty. And then I told her, don't you ever do that again. <laughs> with a smile on my face. Now, I, I've gotten to know Amy, and I think she will do that again, for which I'm very grateful. Because as I received that service from that young lady, and as I am now sharing that nice little story with her church family, that helps all of us to think about other people. And so I am very appreciative to Amy and to her husband for releasing her for a few minutes to make that call and to Beth for following the call and for the fact that I had a little water last week as I preached to you folks. So we'll celebrate my water, okay? Now... The main thing that I want to celebrate today 
is the wonderful example that Jesus Christ gives us. That he gives us about being a servant. If you have your Bible or if you have something available where you can read your smartphone or something off the pew rack, I want you to join me for a moment in the second chapter of Philippians. Because we're going to start there and we're going to go several places today, which I love to do because all godly scriptures, important lessons for you and me. But in the second chapter of Philippians, now Philippians is a very important book because this is written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Philippi was one of the towns that he visited on his missionary journeys. I hope you know that. And then he wrote this book to the Philippians as he also, listen very carefully, through the Holy Spirit has written this book to King's Grant Baptist Church, to me and to you. A very personal letter about being a Christian and about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we consider this today, I ask, I implore you, I beg you, please take it personally. Always, because these are personal statements from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to us here 2,000 years later. And I say that with great conviction, with absolute certainty that that is what it is. So as we look at the second chapter of the book of Philippians, we see him speaking to you and me about the goodness that we receive from Jesus Christ. The goodness that is a part of the spirit that we get from having Christ in our life. And then he gives us this beautiful, powerful statement of the servanthood of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Because it says here, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Now, please, he's saying if, but the indication is as you have these wonderful things, comfort and tenderness and love and united with Christ, as you have that, then Paul, the Apostle Paul, is saying, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and purpose. With whom? With Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the origin of these wonderful gifts of comfort and love and being saved and united. So then we're, Paul is asking us to be in one spirit and one purpose with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to listen very carefully to the next statement. Because in my life, the Lord has dealt with this. I believe that it's in good order, but I never take that for granted. Because the next statement says, do nothing. And nothing means what? Nothing. <laughs> it's not maybe, it's not partially. It's do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That means that I can't be selfish. And I believe that. Because I believe selfishness is the origin of sin. 
And it's the origin of discord. It's the origin of divisiveness. And our Lord, Almighty God, does not want any of that. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Now, I pause there for a moment. I didn't go to sleep, but uh, I just want you to think about it. In humility, do you know what that means? The basis of humility is understanding that he's God and I'm not. Do you understand what I'm saying? As Christians, we have the wonderful privilege of being led by somebody who knows what they're doing. That is Almighty God. And our humility means that we submit, that we give ourselves to him in completeness, but do nothing out of sexual ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, that is Paul's introduction to this statement that's about to come. And if you'll look on the screen, and I believe that it is there. Yes, it is. And I want you to look at that verse that I'm about to speak about all during our time here today. Because this great statement says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I stop often in my statements because I want that to sink in. I want you to consider that. I want to consider that. Let this mind be in you. Not your own mind. <laughs> Not your own way. That's the selfish, vain conceit. But let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say what is in the mind of Christ Jesus. Because he says, Christ Jesus, who being God, did not live in, the, in this position of superiority. But Christ Jesus made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made as a human and being found as a man. Do you understand that Jesus Christ emptied himself of his divinity, although he was always God and always man? Please understand that. Well, excuse me. I don't understand that. But please accept that. But in this regard, in his servanthood, he emptied himself of his godliness, of his God position. He was not willing to carry that superiority over anyone. And he emptied himself and became, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus Christ as master servant. Now, if, that was, if I was going to title my sermon today, now I will tell you, sometimes titles to, to sermons are a bit lame. My titles to sermons are a bit lame. 
I love the fact that I can study scripture and share with you, and God blesses that. But there have been several times in my life where I've titled a sermon, and I think, that just doesn't do it, folks. But this one does. Jesus Christ, Master Servant. Now, you do understand that that is a contradiction in terms. Master is what Jesus is. He is the master of all. He is perfect. But servant means that he empties himself and gives himself to other people. It's a contradiction, but you are aware that Jesus Christ is a contradiction in many things. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Hallelujah. And he was born in a dirty manger. That doesn't sound like a king, does it? Y'all excuse me. I'm not going to answer it. It just keeps dinging on me and I don't want to hear it. So I'm going to set it back over here. I usually leave it in the office. I apologize. But he is a master and a servant. He's a contradiction. Almighty king and born in a manger. He is, I said it a moment ago, he's fully God and he's fully man. Contradiction. He is, was perfect. On this earth when he lived for 33 and a half years, he did not one thing wrong. No sin whatsoever. And he was killed as a common criminal on a horrible cross. The most horrific punishment execution that mankind knows about. Contradiction. But hallelujah, he is God, he is master, he is the guide and the model for you and I in our Christian lives. But he also is absolute servant. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is to help you and I remember some of the wonderful things of service that he gave to people. Now, if he served people 2,000 years ago, he still serves people today for you and me. I want to take you to an unusual scene in the seventh chapter of Luke. A man by the name of Simon had invited Jesus to dinner at his house. Now, Simon was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was one of the people that was, they were one of the religious leaders of the whole Jewish community. And you know about the Pharisees. They were concerned about Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. They were angry at Jesus. They were always trying to trick him and trap him into something. So I can assure you that one of the reasons that Simon invited Jesus to his house was to trap him, to get him to ridicule himself or to get him to make a mistake. Now, we know that Jesus never fell into those traps. But the Pharisee, and this fellow's name was Simon. Well, now, there was another character in this story because there was a woman 
Uh, we're not totally sure who she was, but Mary Magdalene or Mary, Barry, Mary of Bethany, but a woman declared in Scripture as a sinner in the city, in the community from which she came. And she was well known as a sinner. Now, you can put whatever characteristics on that sin that you so choose. But the key is is that people knew of her misbehavior. And we're going to find out that Jesus knew and she knew of her misbehavior. Now, Jesus is there reclining at table like they did in that day, eating their dinner. And this woman comes in weeping. And she positions herself at Jesus' feet. And she weeps so much that the tears flowing out of her eyes, she uses her hair and those tears to wipe Jesus' feet. And then she anoints his feet with alabaster perfume. And then she kisses his feet. Now, maybe there's somebody in here that didn't know that was in Scripture. But if you want to look at the 7th chapter of Luke, you'll find that. It is a very intimate scene. Very intimate. Now, let me tell you something. And I spend time with people in counseling. I know all of the struggles that people go through. And I know the word intimate has gotten a very bad reputation. And that's partly because we as human beings have done some bad things with intimacy. But we are, and in the Christian life, we're supposed to be intimate. Not in an in a inappropriate way, not in a sinful way, but in a loving way. In a being immersed with other people, being connected with other. That's intimacy. Intimacy is a wonderful, beautiful, God-given feeling and behavior on your part and my part. And here this woman is being intimate with Jesus Christ. But it was unusual. (laughs) And Simon, the Pharisee, judgmental though they were, legalistic though they were, Simon is saying to himself, oh my goodness, if this man, Jesus Christ, is a prophet, a man of God, he would know surely what kind of woman this is that's sitting at his feet crying and and wiping with her hair and and kissing his feet and ministering and being intimate with him. So Simon is now judgmental to this woman. But inside his head, he's not speaking anything. But it's real interesting because then Jesus speaks out loud and and says, Simon, I want to tell you something. And Simon says, tell me, teacher. And Jesus said, there were two men. One owed 500 denarii, one owed 50 denarii. Both of them were in debt, but neither one of them had the money to pay their debt. And then the debtor forgave those debts. Simon, tell me which one would love the most. And Simon says, well, I guess, which was an interesting term. He wasn't sure. I guess it was the man that was forgiven the most. And Jesus said, you've spoken correctly. But then Jesus completely turns away from Simon and looks at the woman for a moment 
And then he looks back at Simon and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Her sins, her many sins have been forgiven. Now, what that tells us is that Jesus and this woman have, had already had an encounter. This woman had already come into the presence, and I believe into the, the belief and the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. And Jesus knew the reputation, certainly he did, but he had heard her speak it. She had confessed to him, and he was already forgiving her because of her commitment, because of her belief, and because of her confession. Simon, this woman's many sins have already been forgiven. So now Jesus is doing what for this woman? He is serving her. He's lifting her out of the gutter, out of the behavior, out of the mistakes that she has made. He is renewing her. I got to tell you a quick story. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I know. Lord speaks to me. I got to speak to you. Years ago, in my counseling ministry, which I love, I'm a Christian counselor. Yes, I'm a psychologist. Please don't let that scare you, okay? But I'm a Christian counselor, led by the Holy Spirit. Years ago, I had a young lady who confessed to me that she had been very promiscuous in her life. She was about 25 years old at this point. She had just become a Christian, had just accepted Christ into her life. And she was just heartbroken. She could not get over the guilt. She was feeling terrible. And then she confessed to me that she had had two abortions. Now, I even have hate the word. Now, there may be somebody in here that has had them, but it is a tragedy above tragedies. However, listen carefully to what I was able to say to this young lady. She had been promiscuous. She had had two abortions. She had been devastated with the behavior and the guilt. And I knew that she was now a believing Christian. And I looked at the young lady and I said, I want to tell you something based on 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, meaning if you're a believer, if you've come to Jesus, then you are a new creation. All the old has passed away and everything has become new. And I looked at this young lady, 25 years old, promiscuous, two abortions, and I said, young lady, you are a virgin. She thought I'd lost my mind. She thought that I hadn't heard a thing that she'd said. But that phrase and that passage of Scripture, not Don Solomon, but that gift from the Holy Spirit to this young lady changed her life. Same thing Jesus is doing here with this woman that has entered Simon's house. And Simon is judgmentally, legalistically condemning her. Jesus is serving her. Jesus lived with people. He took risks all the time. He put his life, his reputation, his words, his presence 
on the line to do what? To serve people. The end of this story is he looks at that young woman and he says, you have been forgiven, your sins are forgiven, and you are free. We'll do the same thing for you and me and whatever struggles we have. He serves people. Now, let's go on a little bit. This next story speaks to me, to you, because Jesus is now in his latter days of his ministry. He's moving toward Jerusalem. He's moving toward Golgotha, the cross. And the Bible tells us in the 18th chapter of Luke that he's going toward Jericho. And sitting beside the road, there's an old blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus. Now, Jesus is walking with a crowd. During these latter days, people were clamoring around him, following him. It was a a crowd parading down the road. And here's Bartimaeus, blind since birth, sitting beside the road and asking somebody else standing by. Bartimaeus says, what's going on? What what is all the commotion? And somebody says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Excuse me. And Bartimaeus called out. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, everybody else around, including his disciples, Jesus' disciples, said, Bartimaeus, just be quiet. Don't bother him. Leave him alone. He's busy. He's he's got things on his mind. There's an urgency all about. Just don't say anything. Well, did Bartimaeus stop? Nope. (laughs) Bartimaeus was desperate, as you and I should be at times. And Bartimaeus called out again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what did Jesus do? He stopped dead in his tracks And he told his disciples, bring that man over here to me. Now, I want you to get the picture, folks. Jesus is a servant. He is giving himself to you and me and to others. And he brings Bartimaeus, dirty, beggar, just who knows what kind of life this poor man had had. And Jesus says something that has changed my life, and I want it to change your life. Because he looked at Bartimaeus and he said, Sir, what, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus Christ is submitting himself to this blind beggar saying, What do you want me to do for you? Now, I want to tell you something. Everybody in the room, if you would say that to your loved ones, If you'd say that to your family, if you'd say that to your spouse, if you'd say that to your friends and your neighbors, if you'd say that to your working associates, your relationships would click up about 10 points. If you would just make a habit, and I'm talking about something that has taught me, if you would look at your loved ones or people that you're relating to and say, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you right now? What would you like for me to do for you? That's what Jesus said to blind Bartimaeus. 
And Bartimaeus say, said one simple phrase. He said, I want to be able to see. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. You have your sight. And Bartimaeus immediately, it didn't take surgery. It didn't take a while. Immediately, Bartimaeus could see. So Jesus served. Now, one more. You know the story of Zacchaeus and the sycamore tree. Some of you sang that song when you were children in Sunday school. But this is in the 19th chapter of Luke. And Jesus again is walking toward Jerusalem and toward the cross. And Zacchaeus was a little man. Now Zacchaeus was short apparently. Could not see above the crowd. But Zacchaeus was also a little man because he was a crook. He was a cheat. He was a robber. He was a tax collector. And he had cheated people out of all sorts of money. So Zacchaeus was a little man. But he wanted to see Jesus. And he climbed the tree. And he's up there in the limbs of the tree. And again, Jesus is walking by. The crowds are all about. But what does Jesus do? He stops. And he looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down here right now. I am going to be with you today. Zacchaeus is, as far as the people are concerned, Zacchaeus, though he's wealthy, he's the scum of the earth. But Jesus is serving him. Zacchaeus, come down here. I want to be with you today. Zacchaeus scampers down. And as he's doing it, he is receiving the Lord and the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. And he said, Lord, I have cheated people out of their money and I'm going to pay them back fourfold. And I'm going to give them all the money that I've got. I'm going to sacrifice myself. There's a transformation that comes over this little man that makes him a big man. Because of what? Because Jesus stopped and served him reached out to him in love and compassion. And Jesus then said, you and your house have come to the Lord today. And Jesus was saying, I'm thrilled because I have come to save what was lost. And Jesus serves. Now, Jesus is going on to Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? What's right outside of Jerusalem? At this point, Jesus serves his disciples. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Five verses, I mean five chapters of the book of John. That is one-fourth of the book of John. One-fourth of one of the major books in the New Testament. Five chapters in the book of John show Jesus serving and taking care of his group, his disciples. Why? Because he's about to leave. Jesus is going to the cross the very next day. This that I'm going to share with you before we come before the table and as we come to the table, this 
is the night before he is crucified. He sits before them. They're eating their meal, the Passover meal. And Jesus takes off his robe and he wraps a towel around his waist. You know the story, but please think about it. And Jesus pours water into a basin, a, a, a pan, and starts to wash the disciples' feet. Now think about that, please. Here is Jesus, Almighty God, our Master, our Lord, serving in a humble, completely unusual way. And he comes to this disciple and this disciple and this disciple and washes their feet. And he comes to Peter, and Peter, in impulsiveness, he says, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, yes, I am. Peter says, no, never, never, never. It sort of makes me shudder when I hear Peter speak to Jesus. But that's what Peter did. And then Jesus said, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. Well, bam. But there's service in even that statement from Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you don't have any part of me. Peter says, then wash me all over. My face, my head, give me a bath. And Jesus said, you don't need a bath. You're already clean. Great statement. Peter needed that. All of us need that from Jesus Christ. And then Peter sits down, takes his towel off, puts his robe back on. And says, I have served you. I am your master. I'm your teacher. And rightly so, you call me Lord and master. But now I have served you in humility and in complete commitment to you as my loved ones. You should be washing each other's feet. You and you and you and you and you, me we should be washing each other's feet because it is the model from Jesus Christ, our master servant. And we are supposed to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. That verse that you see on the screen. Jesus goes on and, and he has to dismiss Judas. Judas, Satan enters Judas. Jesus is troubled and distressed after this great teaching. But he dismisses Judas. And Judas is walking out into the night. Never to, to be in fellowship with Jesus again. And then Jesus recaptures his joy. And he looks at his people knowing that he's going to go away. And he says, you've trusted in God. Trust also in me. I've got to go. I'm going away, but I'm going to my father's house. And in my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would, would have told you. And if I'm going away, then I'm going to come back. Now, stop right there and please let me emphasize to you that he is coming back. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's going to be a wonderful day, and I will be tremendously excited. And if I get a chance somewhere in the future, I'll tell you more about that wonderful time. But he is coming back. He says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back to get you because I love you, and I want you to be where I am. 
And then he goes on to say, and even though I'm going away, the Father's going to send you an advocate, a power, the Holy Spirit. He continues to serve. And then he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, this is all in the 14th, 15th chapter. Remember, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are all a part of his care and service to his disciples. And then he says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I got a question for you real quick. Do you like to be chosen? Mm. When I was a kid, eight, nine years old, I wanted to play baseball with all the big guys, the 12 and 13-year-olds. But I was still a little kid. And they would choose this one, choose that one, choose this one, choose that one, and finally get down to me and say, well, okay, Don, you can play on my side. Well, that didn't do me a lot of good. Well, maybe it did because by the time I was 10, I was the captain of the team telling them I was choosing them. Okay. Sorry. Little, little re reference to baseball in my life, which was a blessing. But we love to be chosen. And here's Jesus Christ choosing you and me. You didn't choose me. I chose you to be on my team, to bear fruit and to be the people of God. And Jesus is giving peace. This is the last before we come to this great gift that we have before us. There are two places, one in John 14, one in John 16. I love these two statements. Listen carefully. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a parting gift. And it is the gift of my peace. And this world doesn't know anything about my peace. But with this peace, you can banish your fears. How many of you in here are afraid? Don't, don't raise your hand. Every one of us suffers from fear, from worry. Jesus said, you don't have to be afraid when you have my peace. And then in John 16, 33... He says, in me you can find peace, but in this world there is tribulation and trouble. But be of good cheer. Take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus, serving you and me, he says, I've overcome the world. This is all before he goes to the cross of the next day but one more great experience that Jesus serves his people. And we have it here before us today. Let me say a word seriously about this. We're about to come to the Lord's table to remember Jesus Christ. Now, this is a serious moment. It is important for you and me to come personally before Jesus Christ in meditation and prayer for at least one minute to examine yourself. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it tells us to not take this cup and this bread in an unworthy fashion. That means that we are to commit and recommit and ask for forgiveness, and we're to be in submission to the Master Jesus Christ because we are remembering
with this wonderful event, the broken body and the spilt blood of Jesus Christ. So in just a moment, you're going to take this cup with the wafer and the juice to celebrate, to remember the memoriam of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. I wish I had time to describe some of the horror of the cross. And in some ways, I'm glad I don't have time because it hurts my heart as it should hurt my heart, hurt your heart. But I want in depth and in commitment and in love and in absolute submission, I want to remember Jesus Christ and his broken body and his spilt blood. But I want you to just be totally silent, no words from me, and you spend at least one minute with Jesus Christ right now. <laughs> 